All right, thanks, Pastor DeShannon. So good to see you guys this morning, Harbor Church fam. See, you survived the busy Thanksgiving weekend along with Black Friday. Maybe a lot of us appreciated um, that turkey a little more as it's gotten a little more expensive, uh, unless you got some awesome deal. Um, and maybe you didn't know, but, or maybe you do know, one of the reasons why turkeys got a little more expensive as well as chickens is because of this year's nasty bird flu, the avian flu that's been going worldwide, where even in the United States alone, millions of turkeys were killed this year because of this bird flu. And it was probably discovered around in the 1800s, where in, in Italy, they noticed that these birds were, were dying, and they didn't know what was causing uh, the sickness and then the death of these bir birds. And so uh, when you don't know what something's called, uh, what's causing it, you call it a plague. And so they called it at the time the foul plague, and they didn't know what it was. And when you don't know when something, what something is, you tend to just kind of treat it however you think is, is best. But unfortunately, this bird flu doesn't have a cure at this time. And so that's why even to this day, millions of, of turkeys and chickens get sick and they die. Well, this morning, we're going to be thinking about another deadly virus. Uh, and it's not the virus that we think about where you get sick, but rather it's, the, um, it's a spiritual being who is the main villain behind the evil that we see in this world, the main villain behind the temptations uh, that we face in our personal lives. The Bible describes him as a dragon. It's called Satan, also the devil. And the Bible gives us information about who he is and, and how he likes to attack uh, God's people. Now, here's an important thing, right, is, is if we don't know who our enemy is and we don't know how our enemy attacks us, then how can we resist him? And so we're going to be encouraged this morning as, as we, we learn how. Now, when we think about the topic of Satan, I think Christians can go into two different extremes. For some, they'll just think that Satan doesn't exist. He is just a fairy tale. He's just someone made up uh, in order to tell your kids so that they'd be good and listen to you. He's a fictional figure, right? Because how can there be this evil spiritual being? But think about it like this, right? If we believe in a spiritual being who is good, that's God, then why couldn't there be a spiritual being who is evil, as the Bible describes? So again, some Christians will totally dismiss him. He, he doesn't exist. While other Christians will blame him for every single thing in the world, even their own lives. So if... Um, so if I get fired from work because I'm always going in late, never doing my, 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 my accomplishing my projects, it's not my fault that I'm lazy. It's Satan. He's the reason why I lost my job. Or right, if if uh, my marriage is struggling, our marriage is struggling. Right, it's not because of our selfishness. It's not because of our unwillingness to change. It's all Satan. Or if we racked up a ton of credit card debt. We're just splurging on Black Friday because we're not just happy with two flat screen TVs. We need three, right? It's not our greed. It's not our hoarding. That's, that's the blame. It's Satan. He forced us to make those credit card purchases. Blame him. Right, so some Christians will blame him for every single thing in the world so that we don't take responsibility for it. So how then do we view the dragon, Satan, rightly? And then how do we resist him? When he, when he attacks us. Well, we're going to see this morning in Revelation chapter 12, we'll be encouraged as to how 
were to fight this battle. So let's jump right in, starting with verse 1 in chapter 12. You can open up your Bibles, fire up your, your, uh, your Bible app. It reads, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Right? So reading this chapter, this is wild, right? This is something out of a, it seems it's out of a fantasy action movie. We've got woman clothed in the sun. We've got a fiery, angry dragon with seven heads. Right? This could be the next trailer for the next Marvel Avengers movie, right? It's just wild. You're just waiting for Thor to come flying in to just scrap with that dragon. Now, what was helpful to remember is that the book of Revelation uses right, pictures and signs, symbols, to, to teach us what's going on in heaven and on the earth. And John here identifies for us who the woman and the dragon are. They're signs that are pointing to something else. The woman seems to be a reference to the people of God in the Old Testament. In Genesis 31, Joseph has a dream where his father, Jacob, and his mother were the sun and the moon. And he and his 12 brothers were the stars, right? And they would make up the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people. The dragon represents Satan, the devil. We know that from, as we'll read in verse 9. And he has power and authority on earth, and we see that represented by his horns and the crowns. We see his power as he hurls a third of stars to the earth. Now, these could be angels that, that Satan uh, led to turn away from God. These, these stars could represent uh, people, the people of God who have been persecuted by Satan. Whatever the case, John sees Satan as having power. And then the dragon here, he's standing in front of the woman in labor in order to kill the baby. And although the woman and dragon, they're signs, the baby isn't a sign because the baby is Jesus. This is the Christmas story. And Satan wants to kill baby Jesus. We see that in the Christmas story with King Herod as he sent soldiers to kill baby Jesus. But Jesus escaped with his parents to Egypt. Here's what we want to see, is that Jesus, the Son of God, defeats Satan. Satan could not kill him. And so Jesus accomplished his mission to be born of the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life of obedience to the Father, to die on the cross for our sins, and then to rise again from the dead, and then to ascend back to heaven. That's what we read here. He, he's taken up to heaven. Satan could not stop Jesus' plans. The Son of God defeats uh, the devil. And that's what's very clear here. But not only the Son of God. We're going to see even the angels in heaven defeat Satan. Let's read verse 
7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the world. He was thrown to earth and the angels with him. Right? This is a wild scene of angels battling it out. And it's tough to pinpoint when, when did this war actually happen? You know, it, it could have been way in the past when Satan first turned away from God. It, it could have happened simultaneously as Jesus died on the cross and defeated Satan in heaven, Satan was being defeated. Or this could be a future event when, when, when God is wrapping things up on the earth and Satan is being booted from heaven. But whatever the case, maybe we might think, yes, yeah, Jesus, of course he can beat Satan. But angels in heaven, I don't know, it might be 50-50. No, the angels kick Satan out of heaven. And I love the term that John uses here, where he is, John writes, he's thrown to the earth. That word thrown, it literally means to be bounced. Satan was bounced to the earth. Bounced out of heaven and bounced to the earth. Right, when we use that word bounce, we, we can use it in different ways. Like now we use it in, in sporting terms. When, when there's a tournament and the team loses, right, and they're eliminated, they got bounced from the tournament. Think about it like with, with, with uh, concerts and clubs. When, when, when someone is attending there and is just acting out of line, they're acting up. Right, the bouncer comes and kicks them out. Well, here Satan was acting up and he gets bounced out of heaven and he gets sent to the earth. So he's on a losing streak. He lost to the Son of God. He lost to the angels. And maybe we might be thinking, of course, of course Satan loses to them, but man, he's beating me up. He's winning against me. I just seem to be you know, giving in to sin and temptation. I'm just holding on. Satan's beating me. But that's not what we see here next in the text. Let's look at verse 10. It reads here, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. So heaven is celebrating because the, the dragon has been bounced from heaven and to the earth. And not just the angels, not just the Son of God experienced victory, but here it says, right, God's people conquered Satan. And it wasn't because we're strong, it wasn't because we're so good, but here it says it's because they conquered by the blood of the Lamb, the cross. Because Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, dying for our sins, taking away any accusations that Satan could have against us on that cross. And because we're joined to Jesus through faith and he defeated Satan, we too share in that victory. We're winners along with Christ. And because we experience that here, right, we then share the good news of Jesus' victory with others. That's what it means here when it says the word of their testimony. They continue to share the gospel even while being persecuted. So Satan's not happy, right? He, he keeps losing in this chapter. 
to the Son of God, to the angels, to the people of God. So he, he, he's angry. And so let's see what he does in verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time, at three and a half years. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. So in his anger, the dragon turns to the woman, right, the people of God, right? And it's hard to tell when this is actually happening. Perhaps it was during the first century, the first believers who were primarily Jewish that Satan was going after. Or maybe this is a future event. But Satan tries to, to attack God's people and take them out. But God over and over and over delivers his people. No one can take away their life with, with God. And so Satan is fierce. He couldn't take out the woman. So then he goes after her offspring who are followers of Jesus, who are, who are us. And he wants to take them out. And what we see here is because Satan knows his time is short, he's going to ramp up his attacks on God's people. It's kind of like firecrackers, right? Pretty soon as, as New Year's coming up, you know, it's like those long firecracker rolls that people hang from poles on New, uh, New Year's Eve. You know, it's, it's not the ones that we have, right? Because you can't really buy them in the store, but it's the one our neighbors have, those really long, expensive ones. I don't know how you can get those, but our neighbors somehow get them. Right? And so they're really long, they go really loud, and remember at the very end of those fireworks, right, it, it, gets, it gets its loudest. Right? That's where, where, where it really makes the most noise, at the very end, because it's just about to die out. That's like Satan. Right? He knows his time's almost up. He knows he's about to be thrown in prison. So he's going to go out with a bang. And the way he gets loud and noisy is through persecuting God's people. Sometimes when we look in the world and we see and we read about or we watch all the persecution that's happening in other areas of the world to Christians, we might get discouraged thinking, wow, it looks like Satan's winning. It looks like Satan's really beating up on, 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 on God's people. But the fact that Satan is ramping up persecution isn't evidence that he's winning. Actually, if we read this chapter, it's evidence that he's losing and he's about to be all, or he lost, and he's about to be all popped out. Right? Amen. Right? And so we can be encouraged. So here's the thing, though, right? Because he's still around, because he's still attacking God's people, we want to be aware of his influence and aware of his attack. So real quickly, we're going to look at three of his strategies on how he likes to attack us and then how we can respond and fight that. Here's the first way. is He, he attacks us with deception. With deception. In verse 8, he's described as the ancient serpent, the devil, who deceives the whole world. We fight with God's truth. We fight with the word of God and believing the word of God. See, ever since the beginning of humanity, Satan has been deceiving people on their view of God and God's intentions towards us. That's what happened with our first ancestors in the Garden of Eden. 
Right? God t- told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for their good. And Satan deceived them into thinking that his word was more trustworthy than God's word. They trusted, Adam and Eve trusted Satan's words rather than the Lord's. And they chose to eat from the tree that God told them not to eat, believing that, that, that they couldn't trust God's word. We can be deceived too into thinking that, that our plans, our way of thinking, our truth is better than, more efficient than, more successful than God's plans and God's words. Right? God calls us to, to work in our jobs with honesty and diligence but maybe we're tempted to think, well, I want to move up in the company. So yeah, I'm going to cut some corners. I'm going to do some things dishonestly, but it's better that way because I need to move up. God calls us to live sacrificially and generously with our time and our resources because God has been so generous to us through Jesus. But maybe we're deceived into thinking, no, the way that we find security and contentment is to hoarding our resources and being greedy. God God tells us that we find our ultimate identity and our ultimate value in him as his child, but but maybe instead we we feel like we need to find our identity in how successful we are, how successful our kids are, how respected we are by other people, how many followers we have on social media, how wealthy we are, our bank account, our stuff, our sexuality, our talents. These things, we think, give us ultimate value, our ultimate identity. But the Bible tells us, right, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3. We're to trust that God's plans and his ways are better than ours. We can also be deceived into thinking that that God is against us, that he somehow does not want us to be happy and does not want to give us what is good. That's what happened with Adam and Eve, right? When when Satan said, you're not going to die, if you eat from that tree. God knows that if you eat from it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. In other words, he's telling Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you. He doesn't really want to bless you. He's saving the best for himself. And maybe some of us, we've been tempted to think that way recently, or where we think that somehow God doesn't want the best for us. That's why he's not giving us that relationship we've been praying for, or he's not giving us that promotion we think we deserve and been working so hard towards. Or maybe he hasn't given us that physical healing or that mental healing we've been praying for ourselves or for that family member. And we're tempted to become bitter towards God or think that somehow he doesn't want what's best for us. We need to trust God's word. Romans 8 tells us that God is for us. And the proof of that is he gave us his one and only son to save us and to bring us to himself. So trust God's word when we experience uh, the, the deception of Satan. The second way that Satan attacks us is through accusations. He accuses us. Back in verse 10, he, uh, Satan is called the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. So he's doing it all the time. He is accusing us of our sins and of our failures that God does not love us. He will not accept us because of what we've done. Maybe this morning you, had, you almost didn't come to church because you, you thought to yourself, you know, like, God doesn't want me. Like, after what I have did this past week, after what I've been doing, like, ooh, I'm too dirty to come to church. 
God doesn't want me to come to such a holy place. Well, if that's you, we're so glad that you have decided to come out. I'm so glad that you're here. Right? But that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to accuse us of our sins and struggles so that we don't go to God and so that we isolate ourselves from God's people. So we need to fight accusations with the gospel, with the forgiveness that Jesus has already paid for us. That's how God's people conquer. Back in verse 11, it says, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, the cross, the gospel, that Jesus died and took away every sin, every accusation, so that we are innocent in God's sight. So it doesn't matter how much accusations we accuse ourselves of, of and our sins, or that, that Satan accuses, or other people accuses us. It carries no weight anymore because Jesus already paid the price on the cross. Think about it like this, right? Like when you go to Costco, you buy your groceries, you're, you're heading out the door, they check your receipt. Or imagine as you're going out the door, someone yells at you, hey, you stole those toilet papers. You stole it. You didn't pay for it. All you got to do is pull out the receipt, right? Because the receipt is the proof that the toilet paper has been purchased. Whenever we get accused by Satan, or even our own thoughts, right? You're dirty. You can't come to God. What are you doing praying? What are you doing reading your Bible? Right? You know how sinful you are. Go back to the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for those sins. Even the ones that we think keep us from God. Jesus paid that already. We've been forgiven. So his accusations carry no weight. And then finally, Satan attacks us by persecuting us to harass, to harm, and even to kill some of God's people. He tried to kill baby Jesus. He went after the woman and then after her offspring, who are followers of Jesus, even putting some of them to death. But Satan knows that he cannot take away our life with God. He cannot separate us from God's love. All he can do is take away this short, temporary life. And even that needs God's permission. So the way that we, we respond to persecution is through holding on to the hope that we have with God, the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life, that it cannot be taken away. See, back in verse 12, it says here with God's people, that second half, it says, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. See, God's people are willing to suffer and, and, and endure persecution because they knew, and even give up their lives because they knew that their life with, with God cannot be taken away. So they're willing to suffer. Hebrews 11, 25, and 26, speaking of Moses, says that he chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For Moses considered reproach for the sake of Christ, persecution, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Since he was looking ahead to the reward, that's what we need in the, in the midst of suffering and persecution, to look ahead right, to the hope that we have with God forever. Moses valued what God would give him more than this, what this temporary life could give him. And that's what enables us to sacrifice and lay down our lives even now in service to God. One old missionary, Jim Elliott, he went to uh, and shared the gospel in South America, and he ended up being killed uh, for his missionary work. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, this temporary life, to gain 
that which he cannot lose, a life with God. See, when we see more and more the riches that we have with Jesus, and it cannot be taken from us, right? we're then free to lay down our lives here in service, in time, in our resources, in loving our communities and our neighbors, because we know right, that our life with God is secure. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. So church, I want to encourage us right, that because of Jesus and because we're joined with Jesus, that we have victory over sin, we have victory over death, and we have victory over Satan. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for this victory that we have in Jesus, who lived the perfect life of obedience that we could never have lived to the Father, who died the death that we deserved for our sins on the cross, so that there are no accusations that Satan can give, that we ourselves can put on ourselves, that will stick because it's all been paid for by the Son of God who has conquered the grave, who has ascended back into heaven and who now is interceding for us and is our advocate in heaven. And so may we respond now in celebration, in joy, and in hope because we are victors in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.